0: What's going on everybody? Welcome to today's episode, episode 29 of the Go Figure Podcast and show. Today's episode, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, going to be a fun one. We're going to be diving into all the questions that I I would want to ask or I wish I'd have asked whenever I was looking for business funding for myself to grow my business and or if you're already in the business finance space and you're trying to figure out what are actually the best questions that my clients are asking that I need to know and if I can answer those the right way, I'm going to be able to do business and help those clients grow their business. So the first uh, half of this Segment. This podcast is going to be all about answering those questions. Ty is working on some software stuff that we've got to get uh, fixed on the back end. Uh, for our business. So he is not joining us today, but certainly will next Tuesday. So that's what's going on today. And then on the second half of the show today, we are going to take a look at some of the uh, headline news, things that are going down uh, based off of our good friends at the Wall Street Journal, how they affect you, your family, your money, your finances. And so that's going to be a lot of fun as we jump into that. So that being the case here, uh, let's dive right into it and, and figure out what are the questions that are being asked. Welcome to the Go Figure podcast created for parents and business owners who want to get their money right. My name's Leo Cannell. As a husband and father of five, I've been fortunate to create two eight-figure businesses in the fintech space. This podcast will share the values, principles, strategies, tools, and tactics that have helped us to build a fintech empire and provide an epic life for our families. Having been a parent and entrepreneur for 20 years, there's a lot I don't know. There's been a lot of failure. The good news is together, we'll find solutions to creating an epic life powered by a business that we love. Here we go. So. Why should I apply for funding, right? I'm a small business owner. I'm just trying to look to grow my business. Why are the reasons that I should apply and look for financing options to grow my business? And the interesting thing about this is I can remember going to an entrepreneur networking event and I meet up with this gentleman and he's been in business 20 years and I ask him about all the things he wants to do with his business and if he would like to look at financing options and he says no. I don't want to look at any financing options. I do not take on debt for my business. I have it for 20 years. And I asked him where he was at in the total sales and what he was netting as a business owner. And it was somewhere to the tune of $250,000 in sales and maybe 65 to $75,000 in net income profits. And what happens to us as small business owners, as entrepreneurs, is we start something, we get a little traction, we get excited, and then we tend to get afraid. We tend to get afraid to take the same amount of risk that we took at the beginning of the business and we have these false beliefs that hold us back. So probably one of the first things you want to think about as a business owner is, are we trying to create financial freedom? Are we trying to create wealth? Are we trying to create a business that can serve a lot of people or just a very small amount of people? And if we're trying to build something that truly matters, it's going to move the needle in people's lives, in our customers' and clients' lives, and in our own lives, we've got to think much bigger. One of the biggest problems that we have as entrepreneurs is we don't Think big enough. And the bottom line is if you're trying to grow something meaningful, a seven figures business, and we talk about this all the time, it's why our other show is called the Seven Figures Club Podcast, because most business owners, 93% of them, in fact, will never break seven figures a year in annual sales and income. And the reason they don't is because they don't think big enough. And the second reason they don't is because they don't know how or don't know why they should access funding and financing to grow their business. So in terms of breaking down the top reasons why you should be looking for funding for your business, number one, it's going to allow you to grow. If you want to grow and build a seven figures business, it's going to be very difficult to be able to do it organically by just using your profits because you probably need to live off of those profits to pay your bills. You probably have certain things you have to invest in just to be able to grow a little bit with your business. And on top of that, if you don't have access to financing, any bumps along the way as a business owner is going to hold you back. You have, uh, let's say, for example, let me give you an example. So uh, this happened a few years ago and we had maybe $100,000 in our merchant processing just from running payments from clients, from funding success payments. And that money, our merchant provider let us know, well, they were just gonna close down our merchant account. So we we're gonna have to use our other merchant accounts. That's another big key. Make sure you have multiple merchant accounts so that you can accept payments in case one of them gets shut down. And so they, for no reason, we'd literally had like no chargebacks And they said, we're going to hold $100,000 for the next six months. So that's a problem. If you have $100,000 and they decide they're going to hold it, well, now that money that was coming in to make payroll is now gone. Now, how are you going to make payroll, number one? And number two, if you don't have a multiple merchant processing accounts, well, geez, now you've got to make sure you can take payment through alternative forms, and that's going to delay you as well. And so if you don't have a business line of credit or some capital that you can tap very quickly and easily, you might be out of business. Or worse, you might be, you know, not able to make payroll for your employees. you may- not, might not be able to pay your overhead, your rent, all the different expenses that you have as a business owner. So that is, you know, kind of reason number two. Number one, you need access to funding to grow the business. Number two, you need access to funding, and you should apply for funding to be able to take on emergencies because these emergencies happen, and we don't know when they're going to happen. But I guarantee you, as a small business owner, they will. As an entrepreneur, the unexpected is going to take place. And so, if you don't have access to that money, it's going to cause some absolute nightmares. Now, fortunately, you know, we had some lines of credit, some money that we could tap into, and we did. We were able to make payroll the next week. And when the money got released six months later, that was a very good day when that happened. But because we had built up different options of financing, we were able to, you know, cover payroll, keep the business moving forward without any issues. And so, those are two of the top reasons why you want to apply for funding. Number one being you, it helps you to grow. Number two being that it saves you in times of emergency and difficulty. And number three, it's certainly going to help you sleep better at night knowing you have access to additional money and capital if and when you need to be able to tap that money. And so those are kind of the, the three top reasons. I guess the fourth would be knowing where you stand. Are you a fundable business? Are you in a high-risk industry? How is your personal credit score? What do your business bank statements look like? Are you fundable? Do you have a good business credit score? And for a lot of business owners, they don't know that. So I'd say that's probably the fourth reason why you want to apply for for funding, you actually will know whether you're fundable and then that lets you know the things you need to do in the future so that you are fundable as a business owner, as an entrepreneur. So those are kind of the four top reasons of why you should apply for funding. Number one being, it's going to allow you to grow. Number two, in case of emergency, break glass. You have access to money to keep the business growing in case of emergency. Number three, we talked about, now you know exactly kind of where you stand, where you're going, and uh, and number four being that you are actually in a position where you know if you're fundable, and, and you can make ends meet, and uh, it, it allows you to know where you're going to be at in the future in terms of accessing funding for your business. So sort of the top four reasons why you want to apply for funding and financing to grow your business. All right. So question number two, what funding options are available for a pre-launch business, right? Um, I tell this story all the time because it means so much if you're a small business owner. Half a million businesses apply for funding, every, single month in the United States of America looking to grow a business. And most of them are going to go down the street to their local bank where they've been set up. They've maybe gotten some car loans. They might have a savings account there. They might have a checking account. And they certainly assume based on that relationship, the time, the money they put in that bank that has benefited that bank, by the way, we've all learned a lot about the banking system money that you deposit and put in checking and savings accounts now allows that bank to be able to use that same money to go lend out in the form of car loans and mortgages and home equity lines of credit and even an occasional business loan. But what most new business owners are surprised to find out is as a new pre-launch Pre-rate pre-revenue company, you go into the bank looking for financing, and by the way, that even if you're six to twelve months into business, you have some actual sales, you're probably still in that same startup classification. And so, for the bank, they're going to look at your credit. Number one, number two, they're going to look at assets. Do you have collateral? And number three, do you have a down payment? Let's say you need hundred thousand dollars to get this business off the ground. Well, they want to see a ten to twenty percent down payment. That's ten to twenty thousand dollars cash that you give to the bank as kind of collateral to lessen the risk for them to give you a loan. And that loan is nine times out of 10, it's going to be an SBA loan, which means you're going to need additional collateral in your business. Hopefully you're getting something that has equipment involved with it. Hopefully it's a franchise. If not, that SBA loan at the bank is going to be very tough to get. There's a reason why 90% of new pre-launch businesses do not qualify for bank financing because it's very difficult to do so if you don't have a lot of assets, a lot of income. and If you're brand new to business, you probably don't have a lot of either of those things. So if you do have one good piece of collateral, which is a good credit score. Now you open a lot of doors. So for the pre-launch business, you know, what are the funding options that are available to you? For the most part, it's going to be personal loans. And uh, one of the things we've done is kind of build out a personal loan uh, platform that will give you the top four or five options. It will in 90 seconds tap literally the top uh, 57 personal loan lenders in the nation, and give you some loan options that you can use to pay down credit cards, that you can use to launch your business, that you can use to put yourself in a situation to make your business fundable. So that's probably the first option, personal loans. And the second option is going to be credit card stacking business, personal credit cards at a 0% interest rate that you can use with cash accessibility in order to get your pre-launch new startup business off the ground. And that's going to be kind of the, the top options. A third option is that SBA startup loan, which is very difficult to get. You better have collateral, you better have a down payment, and you better understand that it's going to take a lot of time for the bank and the SBA to both sign off on that. That's a third option. And maybe a fourth would be if you have an old 401k or IRA then you can tap that and get a loan on it, as long as it's not an active IRA or 401k that you have with a current employer. It has to be from a previous job that is just kind of sitting there collecting dust. And you can usually get a loan up to fifty percent of that amount. So if you have fifty, a hundred thousand dollars in an old 401k or IRA, you don't need credit, you don't need income. You can straight up get a loan, usually for half or fifty percent of the value of that IRA and use that money to get your business launched and off the ground. So it's kind of the top four options, personal loans, 0% interest, card stacking, a uh, very low percentage of people qualify for the SBA 7A startup loan. And then there's another percentage that may have an old 401k or IRA that you can tap in order to get that funding. So that is number two. Oh my gosh, my water bottle just fell down put it on top of my phone. So that's number two what funding options are available for pre-launch business? And here's a here's a great question that a lot of people ask. And this one's gonna go out to all my folks, all my friends out there uh, who are following a Dave Ramsey, uh, I don't know if if Susie Culber st- still has a, a show on CNBC, but she was kind of a, a money guru guru as well. And what both of these, you know, money experts talk about is avoiding debt, is paying cash for everything, is save, 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 save that money and they don't talk a lot about investments they don't talk a lot about you know starting businesses they don't talk a lot about the fact that there's two systems in this country in terms of taxes a tax system for business owners and a tax system for employees and the need to be a business owner because number one it reduces your biggest liability typically which is taxes so when it comes to the question is all debt bad you have to understand there are two types of debt, right? There's going to be good debt and bad debt. Well, what are these differences? Well, let's go ahead and take a look at it. Well, when we're looking at bad debt, typically we're looking at personal debt that is used for personal reasons that don't generate a return on our money. So for example, when uh, I was a new entrepreneur and I was working hard, I was making you know decent six figure money, but I'm like, ah, I need to take my family on a vacation, so I'm going to go into debt, put that nine ten thousand dollar vacation to Cancun on my credit card, and is that going to make me money? It might generate some great experiences and memories over time but it's not generating a return. Putting that on my card was a bad debt that should have been paid for by cash, by profits with my business. That was a mistake. That's an example of bad debt. Another example of bad debt is, and this one always blows me away, for all of you out there who love to go to the mall, love to go on Amazon, love to buy all the latest clothing and you need you know, to get uh, the Jordans and all the sexy shoes that cost you four or $500 a pair. And all of a sudden you blink and you put $15,000 on your credit card over, over the last year just buying clothes. While those clothes might look nice and they might make you feel good, they are not making you money. They just aren't. Another example of bad debt. Let's say, for example, that, you know, uh, you think you deserve a you know, let's call it a $70,000 Corvette or an $80,000 vehicle. And now with higher interest rates, that is costing you a lot more money. Is that making you money? Well, you certainly probably need a vehicle to get you from point A to point B, but you could have bought the $25,000 uh, vehicle that still would have been nice, still would have been very dependable, but instead you bought the $75,000 vehicle and you are now, instead of paying a $300 a month car loan payment, you're paying a you know $1,200 a month car payment. And that's another example of bad debt. That is taking on debt with no expectation of a greater return unless you're going to put that on Turo, which could be a good business model. You you know, get that car loan, get that car, put it on Turo, and Turo's making you an additional $15,000, $20,000 a year in net income and profits. Well, that would actually be an example of good debt. So let's transition into good, good debt examples. One of my favorite stories that I love to share is a story about Kevin Plank. Kevin Plank is this walk-on college football player, very entrepreneurial, a hustler, just always making things happen. While he's at the University of Maryland, he's like, I'm going to walk on to the college football team. I love football. He walks on, he makes the team, and then he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to sell sell t-shirts at, uh, at the sporting events games. I'm going to hustle and sell roses for Valentine's Day. All these different simple things where he can Buy something for X amount, sell it for Y, and make a little profit in between, a little arbitrage, if you will. This is how this guy operates. And at some point, you know, in maybe one of his years uh, at where they're doing two or three a day practices and it's very humid, very hot in that Maryland summer. And you just right off the coast, there of the east coast of the US. And he's thinking, why are we wearing these cotton t shirts that are full of all this humidity and sweat? And they're weighing us down and they're ineffective and they're making us into worse football players because of how these shirts, you know, fill and operate and how you run with them. And they literally are weighing you down with you know, multiple pounds of sweat, humidity, etc. And so he's like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better material. He starts going to these clothing stores and figuring out what's the right material, what can work best. And he starts testing things. And finally he comes up with what he thinks is going to be a great material. He's going to need money to really fully develop it, make sure it works and have a manufacturing company that can, you know, get a bunch of these shirts and shorts and pants and so forth put together for these college football athletes and NFL athletes to have great gear that they can wear underneath their shoulder pads and not be weighed down with moisture and sweat and take on all that. Kind of be sweat resistant and and really moisture resistant. And so he he realizes he saved about fifteen dollars to $20,000, but he needs more than that. So he's used his credit up to this point to run his businesses. And he's like, hey, I've got $40,000 in personal credit cards. I'm going to use that money to get my inventory, to get my product built out. And then I'm going to go and sell it. And he already knows there's a market for it. He already knows it solves a huge problem because he's been in the space. He's He's been his own customer client. He knows what the problems are. He's talked to the other guys on the team and with other teams about how these crappy you know, cotton t-shirts don't work. And so one thing leads to another. He gets his funding. He uses these credit cards, invests in his inventory. And it takes him about a year before he finally gets a big sale with Georgia Tech's football team. They buy a bunch of his uh, his uh, sports apparel and then other NFL teams do and other college football teams and one thing leads to another and he's constantly needing loans but he understands that all these loans and lines of credit he's tapping into are building a business that's profitable that's cr- solving a big problem for a big, Uh, you know, massive market out there. And now you fast forward a few decades later, Kevin Plank is a billionaire. Under Armour is the number two sports apparel company in the world. Number two, only to Phil Knight's Nike. And that's another great example of good debt. And good debt is powerful when used in the right form. Same thing here at Seven Figures Funding. We took out $65,000 in you know 0% interest cards that we could use to jumpstart and get this business off the ground. We paid it all off. Uh, no interest within the 0% interest period. And so we are a product of the product. And I can tell you so many entrepreneurs out there, like a Russell Brunson used an Amex card to grow ClickFunnels. Uh, Brendan Burchard was using uh, family's cards in order to build his empire. So many other companies, even Google, uh, used debt to grow in the, big, in the beginning, way before they qualified for venture capital or had that big IPO public offering and, and issued stock to get a bunch of cash that way, and so that, my friends, is the example of good debt versus bad debt. Good debt has every expectation of a better return, and that's called smart money. And so, for all everyone out there who's naysaying on this, you know, uh, debt is bad. Debt is bad. Yes, it is bad used when you don't generate a return, but it's great and powerful when you do. And rich people, wealthy investors and people know this, and that's why they all have good debt, right? They might have mortgages on cash flow properties. They might have loans for their business that are generating them millions or billions of dollars every year in new sales revenues and profits. And that's what the rich and the very successful entrepreneur understands and why they get to seven, eight figures and why 93% never do because they don't understand the difference between good debt and bad debt. All right. And the fourth question we're going to answer here is how can I use you know, cards for my business? There's this uh, negative connotation, probably from the same guys, probably from the Dave Ramseys of the world, that you should cut up those plastic cards. They are evil. They are putting you in a bad situation. You need to avoid them at all costs. And again, looking back to our previous example, well, sure, if I use those cards to buy things that don't make me money then that's bad debt. But if I use them for things that generate income in my business, and I've got a proof of concept, I think this is kind of an important segment that we should uh, point out. One of the key factors for any business is before you do take on debt to grow it, you need to have a proof of concept that what you're doing works. Now, maybe you don't have it and you're like, well, I need some debt you know, to generate some leads and figure out if I can get proof of concept. That's fine. Let's say you get $25,000 in financing, whether it's through us or you, know, you figure it out on your own. Awesome. You have that money. Well, don't go spend all of it on a marketing campaign. Start small. Spend $500 here, $1,000 there, $1,200 there, and do smart little tests to generate clients, make sure you can serve them, deliver a product or service profitably. And once you have that one unit of business, you have a proof of concept that you can generate business, that you can make a profit with one customer, one client, now you can scale that up and do more marketing and more campaigns, more events to grow that business. So proof of concept is very important. But once you have that proof of concept, now it's, well, what options are available to grow my business? Well, I don't care what size of business you are, you need to have business Credit cards. What can a business credit card do for you? Number one, um, through our proprietary, uh, you know, connections, there's cash accessibility. You can actually pull money off of that card, keep a zero percent interest rate, and use it to. Pay for payroll, use it to buy equipment, etc. Pay for your rent, your office rent. There's a lot of different things you can do. Obviously, in 2023, almost everything can be bought with a card, whether it's you know, inventory that you're buying online at an Alibaba or with some supplier in China, you can typically use that card and swipe that or just put the information in online and purchase your inventory, all of your software costs. A lot of your marketing expenses and marketing campaigns, when I'm running my Google, my YouTube ads, I'm running Facebook ads, I got my my business card on file. And if you treat a business card the right way, which means you don't carry a high balance forever, you use it and you pay it down to zero. You use it and you pay it down to zero, right? You can start out with a $10,000 card limit like I did a few years ago and build it literally up to a $100,000 credit card limit in the name of your business that does not report to personal credit. And that's what we've done in just the last three years, taking that card from $10,000 to $102,000 limit because we used it smartly because we used it and paid it down to zero. That's number one. You're going to be able to get bigger credit limits. It gives you flexibility to be able to put something on a card when I'm doing an event and we have a sponsorship and I know it's going to be 30 to 60 days before I generate income from it I might put that sponsorship or that travel on my card and then pay it off before I ever pay interest with the new sales and profits and revenues that come from that event or that sponsorship or that marketing campaign right you literally have a 30 to 45 day window before a payment's due and before you're charged any interest so you can pay it off never pay a dime of interest and on top of that generate cashback points and rewards right so if i'm using my card to buy all my business expenses it can generate anywhere from 2 to 5% cashback rewards what's 5% look like well if i spend $250,000 on my card over the year 5% of that is going to actually be $25,000 in, uh, well, I guess it wouldn't be 25, it would be half that be 12500 excuse me, off of $250,000 in expenses that I put on my card. What if you do a million dollars in expenses on that card? That could be $50,000 in additional free cashback rewards income that you can use for anything. You can pull it out as cash, you can bonus yourself, you can pay for your company's uh, health insurance for the year, you can put it in a marketing campaign. So many things that you can do. Now, if you had used your business debit card, would you have gotten any of that? You would have gotten zero, right? So, this is where smart money tactics pay off. And it's the same thing personally, right? If I'm running all my personal expenses through my personal cashback card, literally can generate thousands of dollars. And when you have Christmas due at the end of the So there we go, guys. That's the first half of today's show and segment. Again, if you have questions related to funding your business, related to building your funding empire, answering the questions that your clients have, we have been fortunate to serve over 10,000 clients in funding their business. And it's what we're passionate about because we know the entrepreneurs are going to create the products and services that solve the problems in our world. So speaking of problems in the world, let's take a look at what some of the top problems are according to our good friends at the Wall Street Journal. What is going on in the news? Jillian, is anything going on that you've noticed? Let's, let's talk about uh, inflation and how inflation is affecting your money. So obviously, inflation has been higher, right? And we we just got a recent inflation number that shows inflation has now dropped down to five percent, which is the right way. It's the right trend. I think it peaked up around eight or nine percent, and now has been coming down a little bit. You know, every uh, every few weeks, sometimes uh, popping up a little, but ultimately the trend has been downward. So it's been possible positive, but what hasn't happened is it hasn't gotten to two percent, right? Uh, the Fed guy, uh, Jerome Powell, wants to get inflation down to 2%. Are we there? Or we're not. We're maybe halfway there. So there's still a long way to go in terms of inflation. And so inflation's affecting you as a business owner because obviously it's making travel more expensive. It's making inventory. It's making different things where we buy them and they have to ship them to us with those shipping costs are more expensive. If there is any type of energy production going into creating that product or service, that's becoming more expensive. So ultimately, what do you have to do as a business owner? You have to raise your prices and you have to raise them reasonably within the market's uh, bounds and guidelines. But that's something that you're going to have to do in order to adjust. What else is going on here? Let's see. The primary breadwinner is disappearing from more homes. That looks interesting. Let's take a look at this. The economics of marriage are changing, but women still take on more of the unpaid labor. Nearly a third of marriages today have no primary breadwinner as women continue to make strides toward greater equality at work and home. About 30% of U.S. opposite-sex marriages are egalitarian in earnings, so meaning the uh, uh, husband and wife are both earning about the same amount, meaning each spouse earns somewhere between 40 and 60% of the couple's joint income. One of the main drivers of the shift is younger women making more money. The share of women earning more than their husbands has more than tripled from 5 to 16% over the last 50 years. So that's a, that's an interesting trend. And the question often becomes, you know, and because obviously if you if there are couples and less couples are having kids, but those that do, it's very complicated. and so it certainly is helpful to have a joint income. That's certainly something that we're seeing. But what's, affects the, what's affecting your money a lot right now is interest rates, right? And so we've seen what's happened with higher interest rates and this inflation, it kind of all comes full circle, right? Jerome Powell has had to raise the interest rates in order to try and pull down those inflation numbers. If he raises interest rates, he slows down demand. We've seen real estate slow down significantly. Many less people are buying homes right now because it's much more expensive to buy those homes. Less people are buying cars. Less people are getting you know, loans against their home to pay for home improvement or to pay for different projects around the home. So all of that is having a negative impact on some of these different industries and sectors. that's something obviously to be aware of. And then the other thing that started to happen is, well, you saw a big banks like Silicon Valley Bank. We did an episode about that. Silicon Valley Bank tanks. And literally the reason it tanked wasn't because they were making, you know, all these irresponsible loans per se. It was more that they took all their customer deposits and they're like, oh, we're going to buy these long-term treasury bonds or long-term mortgage bonds. And when they come to, you know, maturity in three to five to 10 years will make a guaranteed income. What happened though is as their um, clients ended up withdrawing and using more of the cash in the bank, the bank deposits went down. And so they had to have more cash in their bank as a bank where they would have been shut down. And in order to get that cash, they had to take monster losses with these debt pieces and that, of course, was leading to massive instability, and they weren't going to be able to, you know, give all the cash to their clients, and then their clients started to go run a run in the bank. So this is this is kind of a trend, right? We're seeing issues with smaller, medium-sized banks that have been affected by the higher interest rates, and that's there's still more negative impact from that to come over time. What else is going on? Uh, Let's see, Ukraine says U.S. leaks won't impact its planned offensive. We we saw some leaks there. we got the Ukraine war still moving forward. See what happens there, et cetera, et cetera. We've got uh, the politicians doing their thing. You know, one exciting story here in Utah is there was an announcement that Major League Baseball is looking to expand and may look at putting a team here in Utah. So that was interesting. Uh, You know what? We're going to end this week's ep- this episode today on taxes because obviously April 18th is right around the corner, right? So next Tuesday, all personal tax returns are due in this country. So if you're a small business owner, let's talk about taxes. Number one, there's two tax systems in this country, one for employees and one for employers. If you're an employee... This is where Warren Buffett once was interviewed, and he said, "I don't understand it. I pay less percentage-wise in taxes than my secretary does. Why is that? Well, because he doesn't have, you know, W two income where taxes are taken out. He has investment income, and investment income is taxed on a capital gains perspective, which might be a twenty percent tax rate. Versus if he pays his secretary hundred thousand dollars a year, she might pay." you know a 25 or 30% tax rate wherever her income falls in those percentages and so that's what happens there that's number 1 that's why if even if you are a w2 employee you should have a side hustle business where you get to take all these different uh you know write offs you get to write off your cell phone you get to write off your car mileage involved with your business you get to write off a portion of your home with a home office you get to write off your internet your utilities as a small business owner, utilizing your home as part of your business. So if you haven't set up a business entity and done that yet, that's something that you should be looking at doing because a lot of people have hobbies that are kind of involved in businesses where they kind of generate an income. That should be something that you're riding off and a lot of people don't. So that's number one with taxes. Number two with taxes, as a business owner, one of the biggest mistakes I made early on as a business owner, started this business in my 20s. We made like a million dollars in sales in year number one. I was feeling pretty cool. But guess what happened? I wasn't doing my bookkeeping, right? I didn't have QuickBooks set up. And right now with uh, MyFigures.com, we're building out uh, a cash flow tool that's going to make it much easier and less confusing to be able to do your taxes and keep your books without necessarily needing an expensive bookkeeper or without having to figure out all the complicated software of a QuickBooks, which can be very, very complicated, but if you aren't keeping track of your money and you don't know if you're generating a profit or not, and then all of a sudden you get to the end of the year and you don't have a profit loss to give to your accountant to do your taxes, then you start to fall behind. And the worst thing you can do as a business owner is fall behind. So years ago, I was an irresponsible idiot business owner, didn't get my taxes filed. Then I got a tax lien And I literally one of the years I had, you know, losses from some different real estate investments. It was not even that big a deal. And I should have just taken the time I gotten them filed. So here's a rule of thumb. If you're a small business owner, always file your taxes on time. And I know what you're gonna ask, well, Leo, what if I don't have the money to pay my taxes? We'll go through funding and get it. Get access to a 0% card something so you can pay those taxes because if you don't, the IRS is going to slap you with late fees, interest. It's much better to borrow the money from a lender and owe that lender versus the IRS. The IRS is very, very expensive. So always get your taxes filed on time. Always have your bookkeeping done and up to date within 30 days so you don't ever get in that situation. Now, what if you do all that and you've accessed funding and you still can't afford your taxes. Should you not file? No. You should still file. What you're going to want to do is you're going to want to communicate with the IRS and set up a payment plan. You can set up payment plans with the IRS and make payments and have it paid off in one, two, three years and not have to make it a big deal that turns into a tax lien where literally an IRS agent shows up at your home door That's not a fun experience. I've had that happen. You don't want that to happen as a business owner. You have enough to worry about. So that's what you do. You try to always, you know, save money throughout the year, put it in a savings account, be like, hey, this is to pay my future taxes. Understand that pay yourself a W-2 throughout the year. So you already have taxes coming out. Don't be irresponsible that way. So you should have a W-2 where you're paying yourself and having taxes taken out for you. You are making tax payments. You should have another savings account for additional taxes you're going to pay, um, you know, assuming you're profitable at the end of the year. And then if you do owe and you don't have the cash, get financing, get funding, go through us, go through somebody, get access to money that you need so you can pay your taxes. And last. But not least, if all that's done and you still don't have the money, set up a payment plan with the IRS. Same thing like if you owe a hospital $20,000. Don't just not communicate. Let that go to collections. Set up a payment plan. They'll all set up a payment plan for you. They're all used to it. It's how the system in the world works. Communication is key. Whenever you're dealing with taxes or big you know, medical expense, you can almost always put these things on a payment plan and avoid a lot of the pain and issues. So my friends, that's uh, that's my final word, my final request to you in terms of making your life better as a small business owner. Get those taxes filed on time. Hope you enjoyed uh, today's uh, video Q&A. If you have other questions you'd like us to answer, let us know. Uh, we're going to break these up into individual segments and send those out in case you ever want to share them with clients or use them uh, in your own marketing or just as a f- uh, frame of reference to answer questions to difficult, uh, or excuse me, get answers to difficult questions related to funding or business or to helping other clients with business funding. Well my friends, that is uh, the end of today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Give us a thumbs up. If you're getting value or if you have friends in the business finance space, share this with them so that we can all win together and never underestimate the importance of values and principles, right? What you uh, have in terms of non-negotiable values. Maybe it's you know values of working relentlessly. maybe it's focusing on solutions instead of problems. Maybe it's uh, you know always, um, you know, doing what you say you're going to do and following through with everybody in your life, all those things will make a big difference as well. All right, guys. Well, have a good one and go figure. Thank you for joining us on the Go Figure podcast. If you learned something that will help your business or family, take 30 seconds and give us a five star. If we added value to your day, then share the show with someone who wants to get their money right and be sure to subscribe to the 7Figures Funding YouTube channel. If you're a business owner and a parent committed to getting your money right for your family, then check out the MyFigures.com money app with a free 30-day trial to manage your money, track your debt worth, and build a profit-first business through our fintech platform. God bless, and we'll see you next time on the Go Figure Podcast.